Hello, everyone, and welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. I'm Jake Watroba, and on today's episode, we discuss the potential ramifications of an MLS lockout this season, and we also take a look at some of the players in the U.S. Men's National Team January camp. You can follow the show on Twitter at Pod. Send in your feedback, comments, and thoughts, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let's get to today's episode. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. What's up, ladies and gents? This is Justin Souza, and you're listening to the Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast. With me today, as usual, is Jake Watroba. Jake, how you doing today, bud? Hey, Justin. Fantastic. Long time no talk. It's been about wait, two months since the last time we cracked the mic. It's been a minute. It's been a little there was, while. There's been, some, uh, there's been some emergencies. There's been some finals. There's just been... Life, life stuff that's come <laughs> up that's kind of prevented us from recording we figured hey why don't we just take the rest of the year off regroup get back together in january and uh here we are um it's you it's me and we got we got somebody else here on the call with us yeah we got one more person um jj post is here joining us today on, on the uncle sam soccer podcast jj how you doing tonight bud doing pretty good glad to be on here uh glad to join up uh you know Heard you guys for a while. Glad to find uh, actually be on now. Um, you know, it's a uh, it's been a ride, but uh, you know, with COVID and everything, uh, you know, finally back home from college. Gonna go back out soon enough. So you know, nice to finally do something normal, which is just talk about soccer for a little bit with people that uh, probably have takes, hopefully that are just as bad as mine. <laughs> yeah, uh, for as long as JJ is still in New Jersey, the count is uh, two two to Central Time and Eastern Time. Uh, that is until he goes back to Wisconsin. Um, but uh, I will enjoy being at even numbers for now. Um, but so on today's episode, uh, we're going to be going over the MLS's current contract negotiations after league uh, initiated a force majeure clause um, and kind of what their negotiations are going on with uh, in terms of the new CBA. Uh, we'll talk a little USMNT camp and some of the players that are in the January camp right now. And talk a little bit of player news. As uh, we all know, there's a little bit of transfer news regarding Jordan Morris. Um, Matthew Hoppy is apparently tearing up the Bundesliga now, considering that Weston McKinney is, is no longer there at Schalke, so he's got to take up the mantle. Um, and Andres Perea of Orlando City um, had his one-time switch from Colombia to the U.S. granted. Uh, so we've got another player to kind of fill in at the sixth role um, for us in midfield. Um, so, Jake, do you want to kind of give us a rundown on what, what's kind of going on with the contract negotiations? Yeah, before I do, listeners... Make sure you make sure you follow the show on Twitter at Unc Sam Soccer Pod. Make sure you follow Justin at Justin Sosa ninety nine. You can follow JJ at JJ Post, and that is not the letter J. Oh, the letters JJ that is spelled out J A Y J A Y Post. And you can follow myself at Jake Watroba. Now, guys, MLS informed the MLSPA on December 29th that it will in, uh, it will be invoking the force majeure clause, which was included into the new CBA the owners and the players agreed upon uh, over the summer. This would mark the third time in 12 months that the owners and players have been brought to the, to the negotiating table to hammer out a new collective bargaining agreement. Since the force majeure clause was invoked, the league and the players now have 30 days to agree to a new CBA if one cannot be agreed upon by the end of those 30 days, which is coming up here, it would be January 28th. There could be a work stoppage. Now, guys, I want to ask you this, and this has kind of been, uh, I've been thinking about this too, as it relates to a potential work stoppage. This would be, this would be like a colossal failure for the, the league if they're, 
would to be a pushback in the regular season, right? I'd say so. Um, you know, the league kind of pushed this forward with the idea that, you know, they face some unexpected uh, difficulties in terms of the current CBA that they had negotiated, uh, which I think is a little weird considering that they could have really activated this at any point last year, uh, kind of when the pandemic first kind of started and after this new CBA was negotiated. Um, but they waited until now, two months before the season is retrospectively supposed to start. Nothing's announced as far as when it's actually supposed to start. But um, as per usual, it starts at the beginning of March. Um, so I don't know. It's just it's a little weird. It's a little it makes me a little unconfident in kind of the league and the owners just in terms of getting this across the line. Um, I think they will. Hopefully they will. They're going to have to uh, come January 28th. Um, but we'll see. I mean, it, it is a, it will be a colossal failure if this doesn't kind of, you know, push through after fighting through a pandemic to get last season finished and then stumbling to get this season started. Yeah, I mean, I think weird. Weird's a pretty good way to describe it. Um, you know, it feels almost like a, a calculated gamble by the league to uh, kind of bet on the fact that you know, with more and more influx of top level players in MLS coming from um, other countries, that there'll probably be less of an interest, perhaps, in uh, you know the um, certain nuances of MLS contracts, certain nuances of American contract disputes, and you know all the stuff that makes MLS such a unique league. It kind of feels to me like they're kind of uh, making that as a risk, uh, you know, kind of going off the idea that, you know, someone like Yosef Martinez, for example, will not necessarily be too passionate about um, getting involved in this issue. And, you know, the players that in MLS right now are the top, top players, the players that are going to have the most clout, perhaps, in the union um, are not going to be as interested as, you know, the average player would be five, ten years ago. That being said... Uh, kind of my concern about this is, um, you know, as someone mentioned on Twitter, I forget uh, who mentioned it to me, you know, it is a union, so it is a majority rule vote, and there are a lot more average MLSers than there are, you know, top-level European or South American or wherever superstars. So it, I, I am interested to see, you know, what the kind of uh, general mood is by the players. You know, I believe they put out a statement saying, we don't want to back down here. So I'm uh, interested to see if that's a bluff by the players or they're actually going to stick by that and we're going to have something of a very uh, tense, very... Uh, uh, very controversial um, end to this uh, offseason in the sense of how this is actually going to be uh, decided. You know, JJ, that's a very interesting point you, you kind of brought up there as it relates to players who aren't American. Uh, so much about, like when we talk about MLS, kind of one of the things that people point to as a reason for why a player would want to play in MLS over a league in South America is you get paid on time, right? But that's kind of a big thing. You know, if you're playing in Argentina or Brazil or wherever it may be, uh, you hear issues of players not getting paid when they're supposed to be paid. And that's kind of a guaranteed thing with an MLS. You're going to be paid when you're supposed to be paid. But you look at this, you say, hey, you, 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 from a South American, if you're a South American player, from that perspective, <laughs> there potentially could be a work stoppage. And you're not going to be paid when you're supposed to be paid if you're if there's a work stoppage. So it's a, it's a different wrinkle for the, you know players who aren't American who aren't used to having uh, a union within the the players association um, as it relates to the leagues they play in. So I mean it'll it'll be interesting to see how this affects even transfers this winter. You know, will players want to come to MLS if the CBA um, isn't ironed out but more on the cba mls commissioner don garber said on january 12th that the league is still aiming to kick off in mid-march which would see teams begin preseason camps in late january per sam stay school of the athletic however sources with teams around the league told stay school that they have not yet to book hotels and travel for those camps an indication that the preseason might not begin until later in the winter. Now, if memory serves me correctly, guys, I believe last summer they waited until the very last minute to agree upon the, the CBA. I think a couple months prior to that, when they did, I guess, agree to the CBA, but they didn't ratify the CBA, so it really wasn't an agreement. It was just kind of like a, a gentleman's handshake, if you will. I think that came down to the very last minute, too. So do you get the sense that we're going to be maybe waiting until mid-February, late February, before this whole thing is is agreed upon? I 
I hope not. Um, I was reading something earlier, kind of just uh, that Jeff Carlisle had written for ESPN. This was earlier this month, in fact. Um, and it seemed like the league and the players were on the road to kind of finalizing, not finalizing, but negotiating at least a deal where they would extend the current CBA um, two more years. Uh, the only problem with that is that once that, if that CBA were agreed upon, any type of you know revenue increase within the league uh, from the potential new TV deal that's up next year, um, or even that they get potentially through the World Cup, uh, just kind of getting more eyeballs on the league and stuff. Um, you know, the players aren't actually going to benefit from that until this now two-year longer CBA kind of wraps up and they're able to negotiate a new one. Um, so I guess in the long term of, you know, two or three years from now and kind of looking at what you're going to earn as a player, um, you know, this probably isn't the best deal or the most ideal situation to be in as far as kind of figuring out the the current CBA situation. Um, but it is one that, if they agree upon it, you know, it just kind of gets the ball rolling at least. And, um, you know, I'm, I think it's a smart move from the league as far as just saying, you know, you guys can, you know, keep making the money that you're making right now. You can receive your salaries. We won't change it, but you're going to have to keep it that way for the next two years after. Um, so I think that's savvy from MLS. Uh, I'm not sure if the players will necessarily agree to it or necessarily agree with it as of right now, but. I don't know. Here's a, here's my thing. It, it, I, I I read through some of the details, and, and listeners, I don't think we're the best group of guys to kind of get into the weeds as it relates to the collective bargaining agreement. Uh, but from my, from my perspective, the league, in this article with Sam Stasco on The Athletic that came out a few days ago, it portrays as though, like, well, we're extending an olive branch to the players. We're, gonna, we're not going to cut their salaries. We're just going to push out this the CBA agreement. And to me, I mean, that sounds good on the surface, but in reality, what you're doing is you're allowing the owners to kind of catch up and make out or make back the money that they, they lost in 2021 and or 2020 rather the players don't get that though. The players don't get an opportunity to make back that money they lost. And for me, and I'm sure I probably speak for both of you, but you know, maybe, maybe one of you will surprise me. I've signed with the players and it's kind of like the old argument of millionaires versus the billionaires. I'll always side with the millionaires. And I'm not even going to say that MLS players are millionaires in this perspective. It's like the thousandaires, if you will. To me, it, it still feels like the league is screwing over the players because you have a new TV contract coming up. You have a World Cup in 2026. I mean, all these variables that, that play into it, I feel as though that you're kind of just kicking the can down down the road for the players and while it sounds good that their, their, their contracts aren't being cut, you're screwing them over on these raises that they agreed uh, to uh, last summer. I mean, JJ, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with what you're saying there, uh, both of you. I, I do agree from, you know, from a purely business perspective. If you're MLS, I can see why you're liking what you're putting forward here. You know, you're, you're helping your owners who, you in MLS's case, need to run the league properly. You're not... MLS is unique in the sense that it's unlikely that a team will ever survive off of pure, you know, fan devotion. You know, when a team folds, if it runs out of money from the owner, it's unlikely that you see, uh, you know, a situation like sometimes you see in England or in Spain where, um, uh, you know, the, the club gets revitalized off of the fans just sticking with it and really putting all their heart and desire. It, at where MLS is at right now, if, uh, you know, say Minnesota, say Sporting Kansas City, et cetera, pick your team, I don't really see that happening. So, I, I well, if you're the MLS, I do understand the business uh impetus on making sure the owners are, you know, prioritized and knowing they have, uh, you know, making sure the owners save their money and want to stay within the league. I, I do think you have to, uh, personally, I'm siding with the players here because on the outset, like you mentioned, you know, they, they kind of phrase it, you know, they, they frame this as a good deal for everybody. You know, we're not going to make sure this is good for the players. The contracts are saved, you know, you're, we're guaranteeing you um, making sure nothing bad's happening because it's a pandemic and things are unique, which on the outset's good. But, you know, as you look towards the future and you look at how America has goals, obviously, to build the game uh, to a bigger level uh, from a brand perspective, build the game from a money perspective, uh, down the line, it kind of looks like they're setting themselves up to save money even more in the future for if they don't need to do these uh, contract raises, they don't need to up things. Uh, if, in fact, in two years, in five years, in however many years, 
the game is at an entirely different level and there's a lot more opportunity for these players to be making a ton of money. So I do think from a business perspective, you know, the league's looking at this, you know, licking their chops like this is a good deal. This is a good chance for us to, uh, you know, save some of the money we lost in uh, the pandemic. Um, but if you're a player, I think you got to be kind of looking at this a bit of suspicion, a bit of like, wait a minute, I think we're getting kind of, you know, had the wool pulled over our eyes here. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, like, like I said, you have the, you have a TV deal coming up that has to be negotiated. Now, the ratings numbers, when you look at the viewership numbers with MLS, I don't know if they're that great. I don't know what the hell they're going to be able to negotiate in terms of a more lucrative. I'm sure it will be more lucrative than the current one they have. But I don't know how much more lucrative. I don't know if they're trying to do something like what the NFL does where you have like this nationalized type of broadcast deal. Um, but you look at that, you look at you have all these teams coming in, you have all these expansion franchises that are coming in. You're going to increase ratings. I've had this argument on the show uh, I've had the stance really on the show that since MLS isn't a top tier league in the world, if you don't have a franchise in your area, what's the reason for why, why you should watch it? I mean, I'm a perfect example. I used to pay attention to the Premier League before Minnesota United was a team. Once Minnesota United became or went to MLS, I couldn't really care less about the Premier League anymore. I don't, I don't care. I don't really concern myself with it. I don't wake up at 6 a.m. to watch games anymore. Not not part of my thing. So if you're a fan in Charlotte, why would you care about MLS unless you have an MLS team? So to me, I, I just feel like, again, the owners are trying to make up for their losses last year by preventing the players from making more money down the road so they can kind of line their pockets. But um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of a tale as old as time, I guess, if you will, as it relates to sports. Owners kind of screwing over... Um, owner screwing over players. So, uh, Justin, any any final thoughts on the MLS and MLSPA CBA negotiations? I mean, not on that specifically, but I, I think you bring up a good point just in terms of, you know, driving interest from fans that don't necessarily have a team in their market. Like, I have two two friends who are St. Louis fans through and through in every other major league sport in this country. Um and while both of them like soccer, you know, one of them, like you, just kind of focuses on the Premier League. He's a Manchester United fan. Um, another one's an Arsenal fan. Um, and so now that St. Louis is finally going to have a team, they have more reason to kind of keep an eye on the league or at least follow a team through through their games. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a whole different conversation in terms of kind of how the league drives interest from fans in states and cities that aren't necessarily – they don't necessarily have a market uh, within MLS, but yeah, that, uh, that's a that's a conversation for another day. Definitely, definitely, but a conversation for today. Let's uh, let's transition to the uh, U.S. Men's National Team. Uh, they got a friendly coming up on January thirty first against Serbia. Time and location to be determined. Justin, what what can you tell us about this camp? Let's break down the roster a little bit. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting one for sure, mainly because um, they separated separated it into an under twenty three roster and then a senior roster, where the senior roster only has like seven or eight players on it um, that are over the age of twenty five. I believe all of them are. Um, but yeah, essentially, like this month is kind of serving as um, Jason's Jason Christ's time to kind of get a group of players together for the under twenty three team see how they're doing, see how they mesh together in this camp um, with Olympic qualifiers and every other tournament known to man within, you know, senior and youth national soccer, aside from the World Cups kind of going on this year. Um, there's going to be a lot of players playing minutes for the U.S. across different levels. So I think they're just trying to get their eyes on as many kids as possible. Um, and I say kids as if most of them aren't older than me. But, uh, you know, just as many people or players as they can. Um, but yeah, essentially from this under 23 roster, apparently whoever impresses here um, essentially kind of gets to move up to the senior team um, and gets to play in the friendly against Serbia at the end of the month. Um, so it's almost like a mini bloodbath with the under 23 under 23s in terms of uh, who can outplay the other and then earn their spot with the senior team. Um, but outside of that, I mean, it's it's probably really nothing different from a, a normal Camp Cupcake January camp. Let me let me guess. Let me guess. Um, we're talking to Justin Sosa here. I'm looking at the U23 
men's national team roster. I'm going to guess a player that you are most excited to see because we uh, we text uh, frequently. I'm going to guess Sam Vines is the guy that you are licking your chops to uh, kind of watch here over the next uh, couple of weeks. I am because I... I can I mean, listen. I hold the opinion that I think Stan Vines deserves uh, the starting role at left back at this point over Anthony Robinson. I know that's not a popular opinion. Um, I know a lot of people kind of pass it off as an opinion where you kind of just focus on Robinson's bad performances for the U.S. Um, and his defensive frailties instead of kind of what he does for Fulham going forward and what he's potentially capable of for the U.S. going forward. Um, my thing with Sam Vines is, yeah, he plays for the Colorado Rapids. Yes, he plays in MLS. Um, but at the same time, he provides more defensive solidity than Robinson does. If Robinson can't catch up to his guy, he's not going to play good defense. If he's caught out of position, he, he's screwed. He doesn't have great defensive positioning. Um, I don't think he's great one-on-one. Uh, he's a scrappy defender, at least when you're at least playing one-on-one situations. But I don't think he's necessarily difficult to beat in those situations. Um, whereas Sam Vines is adventurous enough to get forward and provide crosses and, and link up play with the winger whenever he can. Um, but his mindset is I'm a defender. My job is to defend first and foremost, and then get forward when I can, which I personally appreciate more in a fullback just in general. But when you're talking about having Serginio Dest or Reggie Cannon on the right-hand side, pushing forward as often as they do, you're going to need the other fullback to kind of sit back and, and kind of, take a chill pill in terms of, you know, pushing forward and adding to the attack. And you are completely against the idea of Serginho Dest playing on the left so Reggie Cannon can play on the right, correct? I'm Even though com- Serginho Dest can play both sides. No, I mean, well, I I I think Dest outright is the best fullback on either side right now. So if he were to play left back, I wouldn't have an issue with it. I think so, it takes away from some of his skill set, but I wouldn't have an issue with let it. Let me let me ask you this: Is the and and JJ, let's get your take on this as well. Let me ask you this: Is Reggie Cannon at starting at right back with Serginio Dest at left back? Is Reggie Cannon a better right back than Sam Vines is a left back? Like like, I, I, sorry, that's a weird, really a weird question. I guess what I'm saying is. Would you, so you, I guess, essentially feel better with Sam Vines on the left side and Dest on the right side versus having Dest on the left side and Cannon on the right side? I mean, to bring uh, kind of my own view on this, I, I see the argument. Uh, I definitely, I'm, I kind of like the logic of, you know, well, Dest can play on both sides. Reggie Cannon has already proven to be a solid option on the right side. So, you know, we have two inconsistent and one unproven. We have inconsistent and unproven on the left. With uh, Robinson clearly showing in the Premier League he has what it takes to, on the day-to-day, be a good player who can really be a threat vertical up and down the pitch. Uh, but for the U.S. Men's National Team, you know, I don't, I'm not going to mince words here. He hasn't been good. You know, he had one good friendly. You know, I believe the first one he got forget who against who he was. He got called in. He was very good. And then since then, he's kind of just been, you know, a turnstile. You know, players blow by him. He has some attacking out input, but it's not really enough to balance out the fact that he's kind of a weak link. And then you have Vines, who's only really played in games that are um, not really... He hasn't been tested, I'd say, against the best of the best the U.S. men's national team will have to play in, you know, a top-level competition. So uh, I'm I'm interested I, when someone says, you know, we'll play Dest at left back because, you know, we know he can play there and we know Cannon is a good right back. And I'm a big fan of Cannon, so I, I see the argument. That being said, I'm not entirely sold on the fact that Dest is, you know, you're not getting the same player. I, I don't think there's many people that would tell you, you put Dest on the left, you're going to get the same level of uh, skills. You know, he, he, I feel like he tries to force it a little bit too much on the left. He's clearly not naturally where he wants to be. He tries to, I think, from what I've seen him playing at left back, he tries to do a little too much when he's on the ball. He, you know, seems to trust himself a little less, which is, you know, not uh, devastating con but i do think it's something to keep an eye on the fact that you know when teams are going to look to break down you are they going to target desk just as they would you know vines or anthony robinson anyway so you know i think you know from the standpoint of wanting to maximize the skill of arguably from a you know purely uh technical perspective your best player um i'm sure you can make the case that serginio desk is one of the most talented players technically you know do you want to just maximize his talent and stick him at right back or do you want to try to make the team better as a whole and put him at left back and Canada right back? Oh, that's Burhalter's choice to make, not mine. Personally, I'm leaning towards wanting to have the best of the best of your best players in the field and putting him at right back instead of trying to make him a player, trying to make him 
imitate his uh, skill at a position he's clearly not as comfortable in. Yeah, that's a a fair argument, and I I agree to an extent. Um, You know, we saw Dest at left back for the U.S. against Panama, um, and that's probably not the best game to kind of take any conclusions from, considering just how big of a blowout it was, um, despite going behind at first in that game. Um, But he's done it for Barcelona so far, too, and I I do agree that he looks uncomfortable at times in the position. I think it takes away from kind of his comfort of being on his more prominent or dominant left, uh, right foot. Um, and just kind of that ease of getting down the line isn't as, as simple at that point. He likes to come inside more when he plays on the left side. Um, and when we played against Panama, I mean, we had the players like Musa and McKenney and Adams um, and Giannis to kind of link with him on that side. So it helped. And he has similar similar he has you know high quality players like that at Barcelona as well um I wouldn't be opposed to Berhalter saying for now you know Cannon on the right Desta left that's our best fullback combination I wouldn't be opposed to it um however I wouldn't want that to be the conclusion he comes to now without you know giving Vines his opportunity to to play Brazil and, and get our, not necessarily Brazil but just kind of in, in the Anthony Robinson perspective you know he went, he played up against Brazil, and he got absolutely toasted by, I think it was Douglas Costa. Um, and, you know, until we see Sam Bynes kind of get an opportunity to play opponents like that and, you know, show us some concern in terms of his ability to, you know, essentially defend the best of the best in the world, um, I think that's that's where I'll then be like, okay, you know, Sam Bynes and Robinson aren't cutting it either way, so maybe we should look for Dest on the left and Reggie Cannon on the right. I mean, we have like forty-five different right backs. Uh, how do we get Sam Vines to like FC Dallas or Philadelphia Union so he can get sold to somebody in Europe? So we all can just feel better about Sam Vines playing left back. He's got links about it. How do I we mean, do that? Cole Bassett was was linked with Germany or German clubs, and I was kind of hoping his move would materialize, and then Vines would get the opportunity after this season or something. Um, but we'll see. The Rapids haven't. The Rapids don't have you know, that pathway like the Union now have or the Red Bulls or Dallas in terms of getting a player to Europe. So we'll see if they can, you know, if they can carve that pathway essentially with one of Bassett or Vines or one other player that they have in their ranks. And I'm not saying I'm opposed to an MLS player starting in this uh, national team squad. I think as the talent level rises, I think it's going to be harder and harder to kind of sell that to the fans where you're like, we have Christian Pulisic at Chelsea, Weston McKinney at Juventus, Tyler Adams at Leipzig. Um, and my, I'm sure I'm missing some others here. Um, the more and more we're able to have links to Americans at bigger and bigger clubs, it's going to be harder for them to all, for Berhalter to turn on and be like, yes, we have all these players in Europe playing at these big clubs. Sam Vines, Colorado Rapids, are starting left back. I think that's just going to be a hard sell to the fan base. Uh, and I'm not opposed to it either. I get it. They're, you're probably going to have to fill out the rest of this roster with MLS teams. It's a, it's a, they're in a better position now than I would even say under Klinsman before Brazil. You have more, you just have, the, the talent pool is so much better. But you've also raised like an interesting point there too, Justin. Like there's, I don't want to say logjam, but there's kind of a logjam at right back now, especially when I mean, we can get to this later. Brian Reynolds is linked to clubs in Italy. I, I think there's a move to Juventus here in in the very near future when you have potentially brian reynolds serginio dest reggie cannon i mean you probably want to get as many of those guys into your lineup as possible or at least into the squad and i don't think there's really any justification for holding three right backs on your uh, on your 18 man squad there right no not necessarily and i mean look if you have the plan of putting dest at left back and then calling you know, Cannon or Reynolds or Cannon and Yedlin or Cannon and Araujo, just to show like how many different right backs we have um, up to the you know senior team. Then by all means, do it. Let me ask you a single question: Can we have a starting eleven of just right backs? Is that possible? I think we could. I mean, we have we have two, we have two that we haven't even named right now in the under twenty threes with Kyle Duncan and Aaron Herrera, both right backs too. So you'd have Cannon, Reynolds, Yedlin, Araujo, Des, Herrera. Duncan, that's seven. Gloster can play right back. Richards can play right back. If you want to make the argument that they're right backs, then you have two center backs right there. Exactly. So, like, essentially, we could feel the whole 11 of, of right backs. 
which if Greg Berhalter were ever on the verge of getting fired from this job, I think that should just be his sign-off. He's a giant, I'm going to play all 11 right-backs on the field, including goalkeeper. Just a giant middle finger to uh, yes. everyone involved there. Uh, JJ, is there a, is there a, a player on this 20, U23 roster that stands out to you? Is there anybody that you're excited to uh, to watch? Justin knows my uh, you know my my particular homer take on this roster, but my my biggest uh, notice was a, pl- a lack thereof of a certain player, which is you know Caden uh, Clark. I'm a big uh, Clark proponent. Personally, my issue here is not that I don't think you know I'm looking at the U23 in particular. Uh, Dotson, Ko, Pereira, Tessman, Williamson, Yule. My issue is not that I think they're bad players per se. I'm just not really seeing where the creative force in that group is. Williamson, I think, is a very good player. But he's not exactly going to be driving your team forward, I don't think. You know, Tessman's a good player. He's not really a proper number 10 either. So, you know, I'm looking at these uh, players, and I'm looking like, well, they're all good, but I'm thinking Pereira, Aprea, Dotson, Tessman, Williams. Like, these are players in a similar mold. Yule gives you something different, but he's more of a deep-lying passer than any sort of uh, forward creative um, force, which I think Clark, uh, personally, I think Clark is, a, you know, one of the most underrated talents in our pool, full stop. But I think he would really be able to stand out in this uh, lineup in this lineup of midfielders in the sense that he kind of brings a certain, uh, a certain attacking prowess that I don't think anyone else in this, in this midfield group really does. He gives a certain, you know, if, Ber- if Berhalter is looking for steel in the midfield, Clark isn't going to give him that. But, you know, if you want to put a guy that's going to be able to break lines, if you want to put a guy that's gonna be able to take the ball forward and, you know, really create chances for this team. I think Clark is on a different level than any of these guys in the pool. That being said, of the players total in the pool, the one that I'm looking most forward to seeing would probably be Daryl DK because I was really looking forward to seeing him in the last set of friendlies. And obviously, uh, you know, due to, uh, you know, um, uh, late disclusion, he we couldn't he couldn't see him in the games. But I think DK is a player that, uh, you know, really has caught fire in terms of, uh, you know, hype um, as far as an MLS prospect can go in recent uh, in the last year, because, you know, he's he's the kind of player that. You know, he looks like the American stereotype, you know, big, strong. But then you add in all these, uh, you know, all these new uh, flair, you know, he's been showing the last uh, month, in the last, uh, since the summer. You know, he can finish. He's got, you know, technique. And he's kind of the uh, combination of raw power and, you know, the college soccer stereotype coming out of UVA, just a hard runner, can get forward, will muscle you off the ball. But then he puts the ball in the net with a precision that you don't really see with anyone else in the MLS. And, you know, I think he's a prospect that's really interesting uh, going forward um, for what kind of profile Berhalter wants to see in his uh, striker. If he's going to look for someone who's going to be do it all, someone who's going to hold up the ball, someone who's going to put the ball in the back of the net, someone who's going to be able to make the runs, DK may be that all-around type of guy. But, you know, if he's looking for a more specific profile, someone who can more specializes in a certain aspect, you know, that's where I think DK is going to find himself on the outside looking in. But, you know, I think this is going to be a good chance for him regardless to kind of show what he can do when he's with the national team. JJ, I agree 100%. I mean, I, I kind of felt like DK was the low-hanging fruit, but I was, I'm was i going to agree with you because that's the guy I'm looking forward to the most in, in watching play here is Daryl DK. I mean, come on. I mean, the, the, when I look at this national team, the biggest kind of question mark as it relates is that number nine position, that striker. I mean, is it Josh Sargent? I'm not confident it is. I'm not... I'm not so certain that he's the striker of the future, if you will, or he's going to be the guy that's leading the line for the national team. Is it Matthew Hoppe? Uh, I mean, we're going to find out, I guess. I didn't realize he was supposed to be on our radar until the last couple of weeks. I guess he's, you know, he's lighting up the uh, lighting the lamp, if you will. That's kind of a NHL expression, hockey expression there for Schalke. For me, it's Daryl DK. I mean. If he is as good as we think he potentially is, and this is going to be a guy I'm going to be watching all next season with MLS. Um, I mean, if he kills it in MLS this season, I mean, we're talking about a guy that's probably going to get sold off to, to Europe. He's probably going to be playing, I would hope, for a top five league. Um, and I think that he gives U.S. men's national team fans hope that there's depth at that striker position. I mean, my biggest fear going into if they qualify for Qatar, and I have no reason to believe that they won't now, um, changing my stance on that, a couple years ago I was like, there's no way in hell this national team's qualifying for the 2022 World Cup. That's one of my hot takes, by the way. Uh, JJ, as we kind of talked about uh, pre-show hot takes. Um, my biggest fear was we're going to have to go in there with like Josie Altador and Josie Zardes as like our strikers. And like to me, that's like a nightmare, I, I, I feel like. Like who's going to – I mean – I don't want to, anything to do with either of those two, and I get it. 
Josie Josie served a sort of purpose in you know 2014, um, and I and I get it. You know he he's a great for what he was. He's a great striker, but I just feel like you need more. We need more than just Josie Altador. We need more than Josie Zardes. And whether that's Josh Sargent, whether that's Daryl DK, whether that's <laughs> Matt Hoppe, um, I'm just excited to see what this kid can do with Orlando. And I hope he has a killer season in MLS. And I hope he gets out of Orlando City and kind of follows, I guess, if you will, that foot that that path that Kyle Laren carved out at Orlando City. I know Kyle Laren missed a sitter today for uh, Bashitkas. I, I watched that, um, but. I just hope that we can get this kid to Europe, and I hope he can just start banging in goals. And hopefully Josh Sargent does too. I'm not saying that Josh Sargent's a lost cause. I just think Werder Bremen's kind of just a crappy team that doesn't... It, it probably isn't a good place where uh, kids develop. You know what I mean? It's, it's not a great place where you want your striker playing it. Like I said, Justin, you and I have had this conversation. I kind of wish Josh Sargent was almost playing in the Eredivisie, where it's just like a high-scoring league where he can learn to just bang goals and finish goals. That's yeah, that's fair enough. And I, I like you know playing within a team that plays more competent soccer than Schalke has shown this season would definitely be a huge help. Um, I just think it's interesting because you know a lot of people were saying um, last year when Werder Bremen were on the verge of getting relegated, you know they were all like, okay, maybe this is better for Josh Sargent. You know they dropped down a division. He, get, he he's the outright starting striker for them. Um, you know he gets more minutes against you know, easier competition. He scores goals, gets his, gets his confidence up. And I can see where the value in that could be. Um, but I would almost say there's still more value in him kind of, I'm going to say suffering. Cause I mean, this kid is really suffering through, you know, this lack and inability of Werder Bremen's to really carve out and make any good chances for him. Um, because it's just going to make him hungrier and make him, more precise when he's in the box to score goals and you know when the opportunities have kind of fallen to him this season i don't think he's necessarily taking all of them and those are the signs that we should kind of be worried about um but i don't necessarily think him dropping down a division would help somewhere how some people are like oh shock is getting relegated maybe this is better for matthew hoppy because they'll go down a division and he'll be the outright striker because he's doing well now it's like yeah you can look at it that way, or... I think there's also an argument to be made that if Matt Hoppe lights up for the second half of the Bundesliga, he's in great form and scoring goals. I think there's an argument to be made that Schalke might, could just sell him off to somebody else, too. Yeah, I mean, that, just, that's, that's a team... That's a club that's in, like... They're, they're struggling financially, and I could totally see them selling him off to some, you know, mid-table Premier League... Or Premier League... Uh, Bundesliga club to kind of make a quick buck on him. But yeah. No. Yeah, they'll just send him to Werder Bremen so that him and Josh Sargent can suffer together. <laughs> no, I agree with you in your take of having a, you know, having a striker with a, a team like a Werder Bremen. I think, I, I don't know. I I feel like having a defender at a club like that is probably good where the emphasis is on defending and sitting back and we're going to absorb all this pressure. Like, I know you're not a big Anthony Robinson fan and I'm not necessarily a big Anthony Robinson fan, but you look at Fulham, they suck. I'm going to come out and say it. Fulham sucks, okay? Anybody who disagrees, you're an idiot. Fulham sucks. But I have to imagine that Fulham, when they have to play clubs like Liverpool or United or City or Everton or Leicester or Chelsea, it's probably good for a guy like Anthony Robinson to play for a club that has to absorb all that pressure because a guy can't – he sucks at defending. I mean, Justin, you said it earlier. He sucks at defending. It's probably good that he has to face – pressure like that constantly and it probably helps him learn how to to defend a little bit that was my biggest concern with Sergio Des playing at Ajax and then going to Barcelona it's okay so you played in the Netherlands for the top club uh and then you go to Barcelona you never like and this is kind of still my my things I worry about with Dest is that you never really had to play for a club where you had to sustain pressure really like at Ajax, you're probably only the only time you're ever facing a team where you're probably going to concede possessions. Probably in the Champions League, right? I mean, that's for Ajax. It's probably yeah. it. I mean, and with Barcelona again, it's. Pro- I mean, maybe with this iteration of Barcelona, it's probably against maybe a Real Madrid or an Atletico um, or whoever you're playing in the Champions League. That's not below you, I guess, in terms of like tier of league. Um, but that's like, I mean, I, I just feel like for a defender, it's probably better to 
play for one of those crappier teams in the league where you're kind of forced to absorb pressure. But I, I would also, for a striker, though, on the flip side, I guess I would like to see them at least play for a team that's able to get out on the front foot a little bit and kind of try to score, whereas, as opposed to Werder I mean, it just kind of seems as though they might create a couple of chances the game, and that's it. And that, that can't be great for Josh Sargent and his development in terms of finishing chances. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I, I can see your point there. I just, um, you know, I guess there's different lessons to kind of take depending on what his situation is. My hope is that that he kind of goes with what I was saying in terms of, okay, I'm not going to get many chances, so, like, I need to take the ones that I get and I need to make my own, um, which essentially would make him a better overall striker for us and just in general. Um, but that is also a lot to ask for from a player who is still trying to find his feet in senior level soccer. Um, you know, so hopefully his situation at Bremen either gets better in terms of the quality of players around him, or he gets a move next season or this summer where, you know, he ends up in a spot where they kind of cater towards him a little bit more and give him more to feed off of. Um, so that'll be an interesting development to watch. Um, and some other interesting players too, just kind of in the under 23 roster, um, Brady Scott from Austin FC, who's essentially almost a journeyman at this point. Uh, he was over in Germany for a little while. Um, he was on the under 20, uh, world cup roster, not la- not in 2019, but in 2017. Um, he was on Nashville last year and I don't think he made an appearance. Um, but now he's on Austin FC, which is interesting. Um, you know, George Bellow from Atlanta is on this under 23 roster. Chris Gloucester, like we mentioned before, who is essentially being allowed to leave PSV this month, um, you know, to some disappointment, is on this roster. Uh, Henry Kessler from the Revolution, who was just recently drafted here. Mauricio Pineda, Donovan Pines from DC United. Um, and then an, a midfielder of interest that I think we should all kind of keep an eye out for is Andres Perea, who, uh, just got his one-time switch granted uh, from Colombia to play for the United States. And the reason I kind of spot him out in particular is because he is a player who I see potentially jumping a lot of our current depth at the sixth role and being the deputy behind Tyler Adams, um, you know, to kind of play at that position. I feel that his skill set and just the mold that he's in uh, is suited more towards how Adams actually plays the position. Um, and in that sense, if that's the way Burhalter wants to play with these three dynamic center midfielders who are relentlessly pressing and just kind of always moving the ball quickly, I think he'll jump Ewell. Um, and I think he'll jump the other kind of prospects that we have right now, like Owen Otisawi and Johnny Cardoso. Um, if if he can kind of sustain his minutes at Orlando, um, one, because I think Otisawi and Cardoso still really are enigmas in, in the in the pool, just in the fact that we don't really know what they bring to the table just yet. I don't think there's enough senior minutes under their belt to kind of confirm what their skill sets are. Um, and the other thing, too, is like to go from Adams to Yule is such a drastic change in style of play because you're going from this dynamic defensive midfielder who will run around all he needs to to kind of close down space and be this defensive presence and get the ball into the forwards' feet as quickly as possible to this guy who likes being on the ball and likes kind of spraying these long passes and breaking the lines from deep positions. Um, and I think Burhalter would prefer that he sticks with the style of play that the U.S. can kind of go with when Adams is in that position. And so Andres Perea is this player who has that dynamic kind of style of play in terms of he can cover ground a lot and while he isn't this pure destroyer that Adams can kind of be considered to be um you know he is still capable of doing a job defensively while also potentially being a little bit better than Adams in terms of kind of breaking press passing the ball around kind of facilitating possession um so I think it'll be interesting to kind of see how he if he kind of makes that that cut from this under 23 roster to the senior team for the friendly against Serbia um, I think he's a player to kind of keep an eye out for this this next few months. Yeah, I do think one player you actually brought up at the start uh, that I think is a really interesting one is Chris Gloss, uh, Chris Gloucester. Because, uh, you know, I think I wonder if this might be, a, you know, a tryout for him in a sense, if he is allowed to leave PSV. And if his next step is indeed back to MLS, you know, like every year, Red Bull links have reemerged. You know, you got to wonder, is this going to be a chance for, you know, obviously, you know, there's no explicit, you know, probably scouting national team camps going on. But 
you got to imagine guys like Jason Christ, Greg Berhalter. These are MLS guys. They're going to have friends in the league. They're going to be the ones who are going to be saying, "Hey, Chris looks really good this camp. This is a guy you're going to want to put a you know some a good contact contract on the table for." So you know, this seems like the you know. Uh, not an olive branch per se, but a really good opportunity for Chris to kind of, you know, say, I am still here. I am still a player. You're going to want to get on your team for, uh, you know, the MLS season. If PSV is going to let me go, that's going to be a mistake on their part. And I'm a guy that's going to be able to make an impact for you because I, I still believe that he is a player that is going to come in. And if he chooses to come to MLS as his next step, which is what the reports seem to indicate, I think he's a player that can make an impact, uh, you know, at the, you know immediately because, I think he's kind of been frozen out at PSV, but I still think his ability, I still think his, uh, you know, talent, it's it's at a level where he's going to be, when, if he finds his groove, he's going to be able to contribute. So I think if he is able to make the most of this camp, if he's able to, you know, find some of the form that, you know, it's hard to find after not playing for however many uh, weeks, I think it's going to be a big opportunity for him to really, uh, you know, get a lot of interest from uh, perhaps MLS teams or, you know, whatever other teams are interested in seeing uh, the U.S. men's national team play this month. Now, guys, before we wrap up the show, I do want to highlight one senior national team player, uh, Jordan Morris. He looks like he's on his way out, or at least rather a six-month loan, uh, from Seattle Sounders to Swansea City. It sounds as though the athletic uh, is reporting that this will be finalized later this upcoming week. I don't know about you guys, but for me, this kind of caught me off guard. We kind of heard these links of Jordan Morris to Europe. I thought, I'm not now. I'm not somebody who had who holds Jordan Morris in the highest regard because of the the uh, the whole puppy situation. With I don't want to go to Europe because of my dog and my girlfriend and that whole thing. Like, that always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But I always I, I still regarded Jordan Morris as somebody who could be playing for like a mid-table Bundesliga club or, or, or something of that regard. And seeing a move to Swansea City, I'm not really sure how I feel about it. It sounds like there could be maybe an option to buy if they were to get promoted. That hasn't, I don't think that's been officially reported by anybody. I've kind of seen that thrown out on Twitter. Um, but a move to Swansea, a move to the championship. Uh, quickly, uh, Justin, what are your what are your overall thoughts on that? Yeah, we kind of talked about this before, just like within our group chat. Um, you know, I don't, I don't hate this move, and I, I think it's a, it's a smart move for Morris, um, especially with it just being a six-month loan. I think this puts him in a country that speaks English, so he won't have that language barrier to get over. Um, it puts him in a league that is competitive and will test him um, against other, you know, competitive and highly, you know, thought of teams in England that aren't necessarily in the Premier League. Um, and I think he will get playtime. I don't think this is just a loan, just to loan him in for depth. Um, Swansea lost a few players recently that they had already had on loan. Um, I know Morgan Gibbs-White went back to Wolves. Um, Casey Palmer went back to Bristol City. And Victor Giocarez, um went back to Brighton and then went on loan to Coventry. So those are all three midfield slash forward options that they kind of lost this, this window alone. Um, so I think he'll get his opportunity to shine. Um, and you know, if he doesn't, if, if he's really this homebody and just does not enjoy his time in Wales, you know, playing for Swansea after these six months, my, my thought process would be, he probably has some say in kind of saying, you know, no, I don't want to stay here any longer. If there is that option to buy and Swansea, um, decide to pull that trigger, um, you know, it's not the the Werder Bremen links that he had when he was younger, which maybe worked out for the better that he didn't go there um, retrospectively. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't entirely dislike this move. I, I think it's a good I think it's a solid move for Morris. I think it's a solid move for Swansea, um, and I think it's good for Seattle to show or start you know carving their own pathway from the Sounders to Europe. Yeah, above all else, I'm just happy for him because I think Jordan Morris is a player that, you know, has become a, you know, a victim of a, you know, a, a player pool that's gotten so much dramatically, you know, better in recent years. Like, he's a good player and he's, you know, because he's an MLS guy, you know, I say five years ago, he's probably, you know, one of the best players in the national team. Um, but as the player pool has gotten better and better, as Christian Pulisic have broken through, as Weston McKennies have broken through, you know, he kind of became a guy that's like, Oh, another MLS guy. You know, I think Jordan Morris on his, you know, on his day is probably a, a national team starter until we get, you know, a conventional second winger. 
Um, so I'm, I'm happy that he's finally going to get the chance to at least prove himself in Europe, you know, be it whether he seizes it or not. I hope he sees it. I think he has what it takes to seize that chance. What I'm interested to see is what, you know, if if we do end up seeing what Swansea put on the table in terms of personal uh, offers. Because if I remember correctly, what the what uh, led the Werder Bremen deal to fall through was, you know, he's a diabetic. And, you know, a big part of that was he, he knew his doctor was from Seattle. He didn't want to move away from that. And the dog story kind of became the famous one because it's, you know, it, it is admittedly very ridiculous. But, you know, I think the you know, another part of the deal that kind of got uh, understated was the fact that as a diabetic, he wanted to stay close to his doctor. And he had uh, evidently concerns medically about uh, going abroad and what would uh, what that would lead for him in terms of his diet, in terms of how he would manage his body uh, training. So I think it's interesting to see Swansea clearly presented something to him that was, you know, enough for him to say, you know, this is a, just a move worth making. This is a risk I am. You know, I think they have set me up to uh, succeed in. So clearly, if they, they uh, prepared for that or they uh, offered some kind of alternative to that, which is uh, something I'd be very interested in seeing what they did that Werder Bremen did not to ensure that he is not, you know, a bit nervous about making the move because that was, uh, you know, obviously a big factor, be it the dog, be it the family, be it uh, the health conditions that wanted him to stay in Seattle, whatever many years it was when they got, he first got this offer. Yeah, and the other thing, too, that can't be understated, if I recall correctly, I believe Swansea's ownership group is American. I believe Landon Donovan's in that ownership group. Uh, they're, I think, even, like, the main, like the main guy, or maybe, maybe it's two guys, are also American. So I think that also probably plays into it. And, like, like I said, I've probably dumped the most on Jordan Morris in this podcast, uh, you know, as, as far back as this podcast has gone, whether it's been myself or Steven or Justin or even Armand. Uh, I've I've been very critical of Jordan Morris, and I will say while I don't, I kind of was hoping it would be to Germany. I applaud him for at least taking this step and getting out and going to Europe and dipping your toes into that, I guess, water, if you would, for lack of a better word or phrase, rather, and just seeing if he can kind of hold his own because. If he likes it, if he enjoys it, if it's a move that you know he doesn't look back on after that this six month loan and saying I don't want to be here anymore, at least he can say I tried it. And if they were to get promoted and they want to bring him on permanently, I mean, who? I mean, look. I think a winger in the Premier League, another winger for the Americans in the Premier League, is is good overall for the U.S. Men's National Team. So I hope this works out well for him. I hope that Swansea gets promoted. I hope he likes Wales. I hope he stays there long-term. And uh, that's just kind of an, another feather in the cap, if you will, for the U.S. men's national team as they, I guess, deepen that, uh, that that player pool. But that is it for today's show. You can follow the show on Twitter at Pod. Question of the day, listeners. I'm going to make it up on the spot. Let us know which player in the U.S. men's national team camp you're most excited about. Uh, like I said, at Pod. Tell us who you're most excited for. You can follow... Justin Sosa at JustinSosa99. You can follow JJ at JJPost. Again, that's JJ spelled out as in like Blue J. So J-A-Y-J-A-Y-Post. And you can follow myself at Jake with Troba. For JJ and Justin, I'm Jake. We'll talk to you guys next time. Deuces. Deuces.